Psalm 98, and let's stand for the reading of the word this morning. This is the authoritative word of God for us this morning, and uh, so we anticipate that it's going to do a work on our hearts, even as it's read. If there are any kids, too, that didn't get a book, that would like a book, um, please come see me afterwards, and we'll get that to you. All right, Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord's made known his salvation. He's revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He's remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and a sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Lord, would you open our eyes to see this morning afresh the glory of Christ and that our hearts would be filled with joy no matter our situation, no matter our circumstances, no matter our age, no matter what is going on in our life, Lord, that we would be filled with joy because of what you have provided, the very thing that we celebrate this morning. All the promises that go with it. So open our eyes this morning, please. Spirit, come and move among your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, as we approach the end of our We Believe series, uh, today is one of the last messages. We're going to move on to another message next week on this, not this exact same topic. Well, it's the same topic, but it'll be a little bit deeper, a little bit more, um, and probably a little lengthier of a sermon um, because there's so much, there's so much to sit in when it comes to believing and trusting in all the promises that are at the end of the age. Things that are to inform us, inform our lives, the second advent, the second coming of Jesus, life after death, judgment, uh, eternal hell, eternal heaven, uh, all in the age to come. And it's a good subject to consider any day. As a matter of fact, we should be thinking about this regularly throughout the days, which is why I want to preach on it again next week, to think about on Christmas Day when we celebrate the first coming, the first advent of Jesus, because it causes us, like I was saying to the kids, it causes us to look forward together to the second advent, the second coming of Jesus. And because this topic is of such specific importance to the manner in which we live in, and, and we live in hope and faith amid the difficult days of waiting, um, we just want to extend this period of time. And we know that, like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly very surprised that you're all are here. I'm thankful that you're all are here. Thank you for taking the time to come this morning. And, um, and for those of you who are on live stream, um, I, I pray that, that the Lord bless you uh, and keep you where you are and, uh, and that this message would be of encouragement to you as well. We want to take a few moments together to begin venturing into our delight in the promises of the age to come. We've tried to focus our sermon titles on delighting in this and delighting in that and delighting in what we believe because if we don't delight in what we believe, then it's just, it's just information that's in there. 
we need to grow to delight. So it's one of our reasons our mission statement is what it is. And enjoying, not just declaring, not just displaying, but enjoying. Um, one of the most famous Christmas carols uh, is the song Joy to the World. We're all familiar with it. Wonderful song. It's being played and sung in homes and in churches and shopping malls and Home Depots all over the place. But, but are you aware that, that, that Joy to the World wasn't originally, didn't have anything to do with Christmas? Um, it, was, it was a poem written specifically about Psalm 98, with the psalm we just read. Evidently, when Isaac Watts penned the words, it was written as that poem, and he celebrates Jesus' role as king of both his church and the whole world. Not just Israel, but the whole world. And it was more than a century later that the poem was slightly changed, set to music, and it is now the hymn that we love and we'll sing later. And because the song was written from a, a poem that was based on Psalm 98, the lyrics are very theologically driven, and they speak into the very heart of what we've come to consider this morning uh, together in our statement of faith. So for the brief time we have together, I want to look at Psalm 98 a little bit. I want to look at this, a number of texts that surround that as well, or contextually uh, inform Psalm 98, and then also just kind of connect it to some of the words of Joy to the World, so that we might be strengthened this morning and encouraged this Christmas day. The big idea this morning is this, that the absolute delight mankind can experience in this age is only found in the eternal promises of the age to come that Christmas points to. So a lot of, a lot of words, and, and Ben, if we could just keep this up there for a while. The absolute delight mankind can experience in this age today is only found in the eternal promises of the age to come that Christmas points to. As we've talked about over the last, last number of weeks, you know, people at Christmas time, some people super happy, other people significantly sorrowful, sad, broken, empty, angry, lonely. When we look at Christmas with a future, future um, trajectory, future thoughts, um, I think we, we do well to understand what Christmas is about, what I was trying to get through to the kids this morning. First point that I want to make is that we delight in the truth that the Lord is come. We delight in the truth that the Lord is come. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. The Lord has come. The Lord has come. It's right for us to sing because, um, not because it's nice nostalgia, but because it's true. The Lord Jesus, matter of history, not just in the scriptures, but the matter of, of secular history as well, the Lord has come. He came. But why did he come on that day so many years ago? I alluded to it in the kids' time, but he came, as we talked about last week, Titus 2.14, to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus was born to accomplish that which would purchase the full redemption of his people. Not just his people, but also the world which he created. As Watts would write in verse 3, he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. So Christmas isn't only about what took place on that wonderful night that we celebrate this season, but it's about what is yet to come, the full redemption of his people. We are, we are redeemed, those who trust in Christ, we are redeemed, but there is a more full redemption to come when we see him face to face. The world he created will be fully redeemed, fully restored in the new heavens and new earth. Now consider the future emphases of these 
common Christian passages in Scripture. Luke 1, 22 and, uh, or 32 and 33, when the angel visits Mary, here's what he says. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Consider the emphasis on the future in Matthew 1.21 when the angel visits Joseph. When he says, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Not just in that period of time, but he will save his people from their sins for all time and now and forevermore. Consider the future emphasis of this child who will one day bring salvation in Luke Chapter 2, verse 11, when the angel visits the shepherds in the field, he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He will reign. He is the one who will reign. He is the Lord, and he will be the Lord, as we know from other scripture, this time now and forevermore. Consider the future emphasis of Simeon when he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and he speaks to Mary in the temple. He says, uh, or it says, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that's opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. There's just this future anticipation of what Jesus is going to accomplish, not as a little baby, not as a three-year-old boy, not as an 11-year-old kid, a 13-year-old teenager, a 17-year-old, but a 33, approximately, year-old whatever, when he would give his life as a ransom for many. In the birth of Jesus, in the first appearing, in the first advent, his first coming, we celebrate not just simply the birth of a baby. That, 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 that doesn't seem to really even make much sense unless there's something more to this baby, right? There's a promised future in his second advent through this baby, his second coming and all that entails. Dan had mentioned this in his time of prayer, Philippians 2, 7 through 11, Apostle Paul shows us the glory of the first coming and the humility of Christ, his obedient life, his atoning death, his victorious resurrection, and his exalting ascension of King Jesus before whom every knee will bow, every tongue will confess on that final day. Whether it happens today or not is a question to be settled in our hearts. But on that final day, and that day to come, you hear the future trajectory, future in, um, emphasis. On that day, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is who he said he is. We sing the lyrics, joy to the world, the Lord has come, because we know he has come to make his blessings flow. Not just now, when those blessings are mixed with the curse of sickness and, and death, but the then at his second coming, the second advent, when he finally comes to end all groaning. Our groaning, the earth's groaning. Our statement of faith says, death entered God's good creation as a result of Adam's sin, and, and now all people are subject to God's curse of death. Yet believers have no need to fear. Believers in what? Believers in who? Believers in Jesus. They have no need to fear because Christ has conquered death and delivered us from its dominion. And the fact is, without the promised life and perfect life of Jesus and his death and his resurrection and ascension that is all, all about his first coming, there would be no reverse of the curse. There would be no um, sense of, of blessings 
that would be for all people. For it's in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus that he has done, as Psalm 98 says, marvelous things. His right hand, his holy arm, has worked salvation for him. And the Lord, Yahweh, has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. How did he do that? Well, I mean, post Psalm 98, he did that in Christ. Like we said, like we talked about last week, the grace of God has appeared. He has remembered his steadfast love. He's remembered his faithfulness to the house of Israel, to the nations, all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So when we sing joy to the world, the Lord is come at Christmas time, we rejoice in the past because of the related promises of the age to come that we can delight in. We don't, don't just sing the song joy to the, Lord, joy to the world, the Lord has come as though it's just in a past tense thing, but it's present and it's future. All the promises of God are yes and amen in this Jesus. Not in just little baby Jesus, but that had to start somewhere, and it started as this little baby, born of a virgin, living a perfect life, dying an atoning death for all who would ever trust in him, rising again victorious, ascending to the throne in all authority, all dominion, and his rule will know no end. He is mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is who baby Jesus is. This is baby Jesus. This is who baby Jesus will be. This is who baby Jesus is today. Not just baby Jesus, but risen, exalted king of the entire universe. And he's our king. And so, because of this joyful news, let the earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And let creation sing for joy. And so look, how about you this morning? Will you receive him? And prepare him room in your heart? Will you believe in and trust him and know the joy of his salvation now, today, in your heart, in your life? That the promise of eternal joy could be yours in the age to come by placing your hope in the Lord Jesus who has already come and who will one day come again for you. You trusted him? Will you do so today if you haven't? Second point, we delight in the truth that the Savior reigns. It's, of course, the second verse to, uh, to joy to the world. We can delight in the truth that the Savior will one day reign, the day he returns and every knee bends and every tongue confesses him as Lord. But what about today? Does he reign today when things seem so out of control, so difficult, where, where it really is true as, as John would say in his first letter, that the whole world actually lies in the power of the evil one. Oh, which is it? Does the whole world lie in the power of the evil one? Or does Jesus reign? Or somehow the both things happen to be true. It's certainly true that the Lord Jesus does reign now, both uh, over the world and over all nations. And it's certainly true that his throne and authority as king is forever and ever. And even when evil is rampant all around us and our bodies groan and we face the threat of death, the Lord reigns. Our God reigns. And as certain as that is, so is the certainty that our limited understanding and our narrow perspective on all things causes us to just simply not understand why certain things happen. already mentioned a few times we groan in this life 
But over all of this, the Lord reigns on this day. Even in this age that we live in, King Jesus reigns by redeeming a people for himself from every tongue and every tribe and every nation through his blood. His kingdom is expanding, being established across the world in the heart of his redeemed. In your heart and in hearts of others around this world, millions upon millions and people continue to come to faith and grow in his kingdom. The Lord Jesus reigns. The king reigns. His kingdom is expanding even amid his enemies. Scripture is clear that Jesus' reign now and his reign in the age to come are significantly different from one another. And Paul would describe his reign now in this way by quoting an excerpt of Psalm 110. He says, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. So there's there's this reality that all his enemies are going to be pressed under his feet, but one day all his enemies will be gone and done. In that day when Jesus comes again to us, we will indeed sing the Savior reigns. All will acknowledge his rule and reign on that day when both, uh, both they, they come before him and they, they praise him and the redeemed come together and creation is renewed and will repeat the sounding joy as the song says. And with these truths in our hearts and minds, we can truly join the psalmist and shout for joy singing in verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song for he has done marvelous things. He truly has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. This is what he's accomplished. And amid the tears and the sorrows of this life, we're able to sing with certainty that the Savior reigns. He truly does, no matter what our situation is. He reigns over all at Christmas time, especially as we celebrate. What is true now, though seen through a mirror dimly, in the hope of what we will be so clearly and joyfully experiencing in the age to come. When there is no more sorrow. When there is no more death. When there is no more sin. Third, we delight in the truth that he rules the world with truth and grace. In Jesus' first coming um, that we celebrate in this season specifically, he came into the world as the truth. The Apostle John says in his gospel, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ to his disciples Uh, Jesus would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, No one comes to the Father but through me. To Pilate, he would respond years later, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. But listen, in this bearing witness to the truth in his first coming, He still had not come to bring judgment at that point in time. Rather, he brought the joyful truth of the grace and forgiveness and the gift of salvation. He says in John 12, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And it's for this grace and truth we delight. It's this grace and truth we sing for joy. But but that rejoicing comes also with the truth that at Jesus' second coming, he will come to judge As the psalmist states, the Lord, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. And the New Testament echoes the same truth in 1 Peter 4. For the time that has passed suffices for what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they're surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give account 
to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That is to the risen and reigning King Jesus. And it's not that we rejoice solely because the Lord will judge. We are sobered by that. We should be sobered by that. We rejoice that injustice will not ultimately prevail, but justice will prevail on that final day. We do rejoice that we who have trusted Jesus for forgiveness, though, have been declared righteous. We've been declared free from condemnation. We've been declared free from judgment on that final day. And so we sing about his grace that's been revealed to us. We sing for joy because of the forgiveness of our sins and our standing with God through Christ. By grace we've been saved. The truth of the matter is that apart from Jesus Christ, there is only judgment awaiting all who do not place their faith in Jesus. Good, good news is only good news because there's some bad news. For all who don't place their faith in Jesus, our statement of faith says, at the appointed time known only to God, Jesus Christ will return to the earth in power and glory as judge and king to whom every knee will bow. On the last day, all people will appear before Christ, who is the judge of all. Those who suppress God's truth and unrighteousness and did not obey the gospel of Christ will suffer the righteous wrath of God and be justly cast into the hell of fire with the devil and his angels. And there they will experience eternal conscious punishment according to their sins. And that's, that's just very, very sobering and bad news. But listen, the threat of judgment isn't to make one mad or to become self-defensive. Rather, it's simply meant to cause one to recognize their need for a savior. And because of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, our savior has come. And there is hope. This is why we light the first candle, hope. Why we light the second candle, peace. Why we light the third candle, joy. Why we light the fourth candle, love. And why we light the Christ candle, because in Christ all those things are true for us. If a person would simply place their trust in Jesus today, in the present, he will not be the righteous judge towards you. He will be the righteous one who declares you blameless and forgiven and facing no condemnation in the age to come. Our statement of faith says, Christ's personal, physical, and visible return is the blessed hope of all who trust in him. At the end of the age, the just and the unjust will be raised as their souls are reunited to their bodies, the just to a resurrection of life, the unjust to a resurrection of judgment. And when the dead in Christ are raised, their perishable bodies will be redeemed and made like Christ's imperishable, glorious, powerful spiritual body. Those in Christ who are alive shall likewise be changed, and thus will all God's glorified people forever bear the image of their Savior. And that's good news. That's the good news of Christmas. <laughs> when, when the songwriter wrote that Jesus makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness, he means more fully the glories of his grace and truth, his justice and his mercy, which is how Jesus rules today and how he will rule on that final day in the age to come. Oh, on that day to come when we stand before the king, the judge, what will your plea before him be? 
Will it be that you believed on and trusted in Jesus, or will you have no answer before him? Today, will you be one who delights in facing no judgment on account of your faith in all that Christ has done? Or will you be one who dreads seeing him face to face? Or will you be one who dismisses the judge today only to be found needing a Savior on that final day, though it being too late to do anything about it? The, the call is being put out again this morning. Will you submit to Jesus and trust him? And believe on him. Fourth and final point. We delight in the truth of the wonders of his love. The only way we can sing the song, Joy to the World with Genuine Joy and Hope, is because of everything Jesus' first coming means to us. Jesus came to bear the sins of many. He will come again to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Are, Are these not the wonders of his love? These are the wonders of his love. Is not the greatest wonder of the season what the, fo- the most famous scripture says? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life in the age to come. Our statement of faith wraps up by stating this. Those saved by Christ, whose names are written in the book of life, will be welcomed into the joy of their master and richly rewarded for every good work done in his name. God's glorified people will inherit the kingdom from which all sin, sorrow, suffering, and death will be banished. Christ as king will set all of creation free from its bondage to corruption, making new the heavens and the earth and establishing his eternal rule in his consummated kingdom. Surrounded by unimaginable beauty, we will enjoy unhindered communion with our triune God, beholding him, serving him, worshiping him, and reigning with him forever and ever. Friends, Christmas is not the end. And it's not an end in itself. The joy and wonder of Christmas are not meant to primarily be found, we know this, in the gifts of the trees or the songs, as wonderful as they all are. But the enduring joy and wonder of the season is found solely in the understanding that Christmas is the beginning of the end that we all long to see and enjoy in the age to come. The pain and sorrows for some that the days of Christmas represents will be swallowed up will be swallowed up in the future eternal joys of the ages to come. We'll talk more about this in the next week or possibly two and just sit in this reality that Paul seems to say, I consider that the sufferings of this present day are are, are nothing compared to the glory which will be revealed. Romans 8.18 Christmas really does bring joy to the world because of what it promises for the world. Eternal salvation, not just, not just nostalgia, not just nicety in the season, but joy in the blessed hope of heaven where sins and sorrow no longer grow, where thorns no longer infest the ground, where the eternal king comes to make his blessings flow. Not just today, not just for a moment, not intermixed with sin, but forever and ever. So may this Christmas day, and every day for that matter, be lived delighting in the promises of the age to come. Some of the last verses in Scripture say this. Jesus testifies to these things, and he says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come soon, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. We, we, what, what joy, right? What joy there is in Christmas. Even if it's sorrowful for you and memories and you're missing people and all that, there is joy 
to be had because Jesus Christ rules and he reigns and we entrust ourselves and one another to him and we get to celebrate what he came for came to shed his blood. He came to break his body so that we would all experience, if we trust in him, all of us would have eternal life. Again, the call is here to you today. Freely. Kids, adults, no matter how many times you've heard it, entrust, entrust yourself to the Lord. Believe on him and you will be saved.